Please, brothers and sisters, turn with me in your Bibles this afternoon to the Gospel according to John. Look at John chapter 13, verse 31, to chapter 14, verse 31, in connection with Lord's Day 18 of our ongoing series, the Heidelberg Catechism. Now that we've seen how we benefit from Christ's humiliation in Lord's Days 14 to 16, in Lord's Days 17 to 19, we see in a unique way how it is that we also benefit from Christ's exaltation, how we share in the power of his resurrection, how we are comforted by his ascension and by his promise to return again. Here in John chapters 13 and 14, Christ has not yet been exalted, but he very soon will be. After he endures the cross and conquers the grave, He will return to his Father, who is greater than all. And so he says to his disciples that this is to be a matter of rejoicing, even though he is leaving, going away, it will be for their good. Listen to how John says it, beginning in verse 31 of chapter 13. And when he, that is Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. 
Truly, truly, I say to whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me, whoever does not love me, does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. We also consider Lord's Day 18 of our catechism. Since we aren't together, I won't ask you to read the questions responsively, but I do invite you to follow along. Lord's Day 18 of the catechism. What do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? That Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he remains there on our behalf until he comes again, to judge the living and the dead. Question 47. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth. But in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. Question 48. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity he has taken on. 
But at the same time, his divinity is and remains personally united to his humanity. And finally, how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ our head will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the Spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above, where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. This the church does believe and confess throughout the world. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever wished that when Jesus rose up from the dead that he would have just remained here with us on the earth? Wouldn't that make our faith so much easier if only we could see him with our eyes and hear him with our ears? Wouldn't we be so much more assured of his love for us if only we could feel the kindness of his compassionate warm embrace wrapped around us? Perhaps some of you boys and girls have heard the stories about how Jesus would lay his hands upon the children. He would speak also to them and say, to you also belongs the kingdom of heaven. Wouldn't it be quite wonderful, boys and girls, if Jesus were sitting with you in your living room tonight, singing the songs of Zion with you? I must confess this afternoon that I myself have at times downplayed the truths of what we have just confess in Lord's Day 18 of our catechism. Because it's awfully easy, isn't it, to lose sight of the fact that it is indeed for our advantage, that it is for our benefit that Christ has returned to his Father in heaven. I hope we can take some comfort this afternoon in knowing that we're not alone in that experience, but even Jesus' disciples struggled with the very same thing. They did not want Jesus to go away. They had not understand how it was better, how it was advantageous for them if Jesus departed from them and returned to his Father. In their minds, their way was better than God's way. Wasn't that one of the things that Jesus had to rebuke his disciples for time and time again throughout his earthly ministry? Perhaps you remember that famous exchange between Jesus and Simon Peter. Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and Christ has said upon this, you and, and this confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But Peter and the other disciples were not on board with the blueprints of this building project. Peter resists Christ saying, you, you must not go to the cross. And so at that time, Jesus rebuked Peter saying, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. And isn't that our propensity as well? To set our minds not on the things of God, but to set our minds on the things of man. That's why the last question answered this Lord's Day highlights the fact that Christ has ascended to heaven so that by the sending of his Spirit we might do what? No longer fix our eyes on earthly things but on heavenly things where Christ is seated at God's right hand. And more than that, he has sent his spirit as a further 
guarantee that Christ will indeed take us, his members, to be with him in heaven. What a remedy for hearts that are so easily troubled in this world. What a remedy for us to know that even though Jesus is in heaven, while we are still here on the earth, by his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, Jesus is not absent from us even for a moment. He has not ceased to be our Emmanuel, God with us. But this is not only the comfort of our confession, but that's precisely the message that Jesus has for his disciples here in the Gospel of John. As he assures them, even as he assures us this afternoon, so as to say to them, even though I'm leaving, I will not be absent from you even for a moment. But I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house of many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you in the Father's house to to plead your cause in my Father's presence. And not only that, but I am providing a paraclete, a helper for you. Jesus says, I am sending my spirit to you so that no matter where you are or what you're going through, I will still be with you. And he says, until I return peace, I leave with you my peace I give to you. Jesus promises us peace for this world's perils. Beloved, your ascended Savior is not absent from you even for a moment, but he was lifted up into heaven for your good to prepare a place for you in his Father's house, many rooms, to, to plead your cause in the Father's presence. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus has begun to speak to his disciples about how the time has come for his earthly sojourn to come to an end. But how disheartening it is for his disciples to hear that where he is going, they cannot come. As you know, these disciples have dedicated their lives to following Jesus. Where Jesus went, they went. Where Jesus stayed, they stayed. That had been the nature of their discipleship. In the last three years, they have seen truly amazing and unforgettable things. They have seen Jesus transform water into wine. They've seen him heal the blind. They've seen him make those who are lame from birth able to walk. They've seen him raise Lazarus up from the dead. Some of them even beheld Christ in all his glory as he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. There, too, the disciples said, can't we just stay here? Peter says, can't we just pitch tents here and stay here forever? It was so glorious. But changes are coming. And as is often the case for us, they wish that things could simply remain the same. And so their hearts are troubled. They are not ready for Jesus to go away. Some of them, no doubt, are feeling ashamed in their hearts for how only a few moments ago, the one whom they call Lord and Master has just stooped down and he's washed their feet. He's just washed washed the feet of of these dumbfounded disciples, the very ones who are just arguing, which one of us is the greatest? Some of them feel ashamed that those who are arguing that now stood as Christ washed their feet as the humble servant. You can about imagine how a sense of confusion and fear must be filling this upper room. One of us is going to betray our Lord. Where he is going, we cannot come. 
Peter's going to deny Jesus not once, but three times. Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus, why, why are you saying these things? But notice how in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their confusion and fear, what does Jesus do? Jesus ministers to his disciples. Judas is going to betray him. Peter is going to deny him. All his disciples are going to scatter. And Jesus is about to endure the curse of the cross as the weight of the sin of the world is going to be placed on his shoulders. Yet in these last moments, as that fateful hour hastens on, Jesus ministers to his disciples. Because that's how much he loves them, because that's how much he cares for them. And so John gives us a view into the heart of our Savior this afternoon. I believe it's John's desire in this account that we should come to know that that Christ loves you in the same way this afternoon as he loved his disciples so long ago, that he continues to minister to you through his word and spirit because he loves you. And now it is his desire from heaven as your ascended Savior to calm your troubled hearts just as he sought to do with his disciples so long ago. Listen again to how he says it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Perhaps some of us have troubled hearts this afternoon. I dare say in this very sanctuary, in many of our living rooms, there are troubled hearts, troubled hearts plagued by the same feelings of shame and confusion and fear which the disciples of Christ were experiencing in that upper room. Perhaps some of you are worried or anxious about the road that lies ahead or about the country that we're going to leave to our children and to our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Perhaps some of us are feeling more lonely and isolated than we've ever felt before, not allowed to see extended family, not allowed to see closest friends, temporarily hindered from experiencing the communion of the saints as some of you sit all by yourselves in your living rooms right now. Maybe some of you are tuning in this afternoon you feel as though you've been passed over or overlooked. Maybe you're still waiting for that spouse after praying to God for years and years. Maybe You feel overlooked even by your spouse or by some from your closest family or friends. I hope that you can take heart with me this afternoon the message of our Savior as he says to us, what he said to his disciples so long ago, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Because even if you feel as though you've been passed over or overlooked, You have not been overlooked by Jesus. And as your ascended Savior, he cares for you far more than you can fully begin to imagine. 
by his divinity and majesty and grace and spirit. He is not absent from you, even for a moment, not now, not ever. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. His ascension has not changed that gospel reality, but it has enhanced it. Perhaps others of you are tuning in this afternoon with troubled hearts because you're still carrying the weight of your shame upon your own shoulders. Maybe you wonder in your hearts, my, my sins are so great and so many. Can, can there really be room for me in the Father's house? But to you also, beloved, the ascended Savior speaks. He speaks to us with those words from Hebrews chapter 9 that, that tell us that Christ has entered into heaven to, to stand in the presence of his Father on our behalf. And even now, as Hebrews says in chapter 2, he is standing there before us saying, Here am I and the children you have given me, O Father. I am not ashamed to call them my brothers and my sisters. So that we might know the comfort of 1 John chapter 2. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for all our sins. And what that means is that not only is he pleading your cause before his Father in heaven, but he has also in his grace provided a righteous covering for your shame. As his blood is shed on the cross, he provides a covering for your shame. So that is your Father's good pleasure to grant you entrance into his heavenly house. That's the point our catechism is making. Even in the midst of our worry and our shame, our ascended Savior resides in heaven for our good to assure us this afternoon of the gospel reality that in him, the Father's house has become our home. Don't you see this afternoon, people of God, that we have the only remedy in all the world for the far greater pandemic, which is the troubled heart? We look around and there are so many people plagued by distress, plagued by loneliness and fear. No peace of mind, no comfort for their souls. But to us, beloved, belongs the comfort that Jesus is not absent from us even for a moment. But by his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is with us. And he watches over us in such a way that not even a hair can fall from our heads at the will of our Father in heaven. Answer 46, Christ remains in heaven on our behalf to be our advocate in the presence of the Father. To be our advocate, which means that that Christ can fulfill that promise he gave to his disciples. Whatever you, you ask in my name, this also I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. For it is only on account of Christ's ascension that the author of Hebrews can also say, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace to find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Because we have an advocate who's in the presence of the Father, the ascended Savior, Christ has not left his disciples to fend for themselves. He has not left us as orphans. But having ascended into heaven, not only is he preparing a place for you, but he has also provided a paraclete for you. Among the greatest advantages of Christ's ascension that 
that, that his ascension affords us this afternoon is the, the pouring out and the sending of his spirit. And this is farewell discourse both here in John chapter 14 but also in the chapters to come. The provision of this spirit becomes the most powerful source of encouragement for his disciples. And our catechism picks up on that as well. In answers 47 and 49, we notice first of all in answer 47 that although his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, and his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit he is not absent from us even for a moment. Listen to how Jesus said it in verses 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you, and he will be in you. In his well-known words, in the well-known words of John Calvin, the Holy Spirit is the bond that unites us to Christ. It is the work of the Spirit, says Calvin, to, to bring Christ to us and to bring us to Christ. The Spirit, says the Apostle in Romans chapter 8, is he who, who bears witness in our hearts that, that we too are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You'll notice, at least in our ESV Bibles, that the Spirit is described by Christ as another helper who will be with us forever. And perhaps you've learned before the actual word used by Christ is the word paraclete. And while there is no perfectly precise word in the English to capture that word, paraclete, the word is, serves to describe a person who appears on behalf of another, who, who is a meter, an intercessor in that way. And this is what the Spirit does. He comes to us on Christ's behalf. He comes to us in Christ's place. So that not a moment needs to go by where we worry whether Christ is really with us, whether Christ is really for us. And so it really is a wonderful provision that Christ is promising here for his distressed disciples. He assures them, even as he would assure us this afternoon, that he is not abandoning him, that he is not leaving them as orphans to fend for themselves. But rather, in the sending of his spirit, his help and fellowship is no less real to us today than it was in the days of his disciples when he was with them on the earth. By the power of his spirit, he is every bit as much our Emmanuel today as he ever was. And so Christ goes on to say in chapter 16 that it is to our advantage that he should return to his Father. For his Spirit shall be the one who will make effective the preaching of the gospel in the hearts of his people. When the paraclete comes, he says, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so it has been and continues to be for us that when we feel the guilt of our sins, that it's the Spirit of Christ graciously convicting and summoning us to repent of our sins, to, to flee to the cross of Christ. If you feel sorrow for your sin this afternoon, that sorrow is a gift of Christ's grace, given by His Spirit convicting our hearts. 
He goes on to say in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 6, that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak not of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And our catechism is a faithful summary of God's word, touches on all these things when it says that by the Spirit's powerful working alone, We learn to seek not earthly things, but the heavenly things where Christ is seated at God's right hand. You see, it is the the fallen condition of mankind that that there are so many in this world whose, whose horizon never goes beyond the things of this world, whose minds are entirely set on earthly things, still living and striving for the fading glories of the dead end kingdom of darkness. But the Spirit of Christ has been granted to us, has he, to remind us again and again of what the Apostle says in Colossians chapter 3, that our lives have now been hidden with Christ and God, so we might learn to, to seek the things that are above, to set our minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. For we have died to those things. And we trust that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we too will appear with him in glory. What a comfort it is for God's church to confess the truth of his word this afternoon, to confess that even though Christ's humanity remains in heaven, to be our advocate and mediator, that his divinity is not limited, but present everywhere in his majesty, grace, and spirit. This is how it's possible, people of God, for troubled-hearted disciples like us to have the peace of Christ even when the humanity of Christ is not with us on the earth. As we confess in question answer 48, Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of his humanity. And that gives us peace when we begin to feel in our hearts as though seeing him face to face is so very far away. Christ promises that his peace is for us. That's what he promises us this afternoon as we face Another week of uncertainty, another week of plans being derailed and shattered routines and the hectic chaos of of homes with kids who can't go back to school tomorrow. Christ promises peace for this world's perils. That's what he says in verses 27 and following peace, I leave with you my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, so so let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Do you view the ascension of Christ as something to rejoice in, people of God? Sometimes it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Faith isn't always easy. Faith being this this business of having the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things we cannot see. We need to trust that which our catechism expresses so well. That Christ, while his disciples watched, was lifted up from earth and to heaven. He will be there on our behalf. He will be there for our good for our good until he comes again to judge the living and the dead.
Jesus is there for your good, brothers and sisters. And he summons you to believe that this afternoon, to view his ascension to God's right hand as being more advantageous to you than if he were still here. That his being at God's right hand is more advantageous to you than if he were still here awaiting that greater vindication of taking his seat at God's right hand to, to rule over all the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. For until that day that Christ returns, we confess that we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ our head will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. And that's exactly what Christ is promising his disciples, is it not? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. People of God, no matter where you are, what you're going through, your ascended Savior is not absent from you even for a moment. And he says to us, there's room enough for us, for you and for me in his Father's house of many rooms. If it were not so, would he have told us that he goes to prepare a place for us? Unlike the many kings of this world and throughout history, our king is no liar. But whatever he promises, that's what he does. And the promise of the gospel, the promise of Lord's Day 18 is that Christ's ascension to heaven is the guarantee that he will take us as members to be with him in heaven forever. We have our own flesh in heaven. So even as we pray, my heart and my flesh fails all the time. We have a victorious heart, a victorious flesh in heaven at God's right hand. As the old Dutch Reformed pastor Herman Veldkamp once put it, since Christ has taken our flesh into heaven, there is nothing in all the world or in hell that shall prevent our glorious entrance as his purchased ones to be in heaven with him forever. See, the reason that Christ has gone to heaven is simply so that he might later return to earth. He's in heaven temporarily so that when the time comes, this earthly colony, the province once lost to sin, might be reunited with that sweet and blessed country, that final home of God's elect. His ascension ensures the future renewal and restoration which God promised all the way back in that mother promise in Genesis chapter 3. Because when Christ comes again, he brings heaven and all the joys of heaven with him. But until then, he sends his spirit in order to ensure that all the elect will be gathered in, to ensure that their cause will be made known in the presence of his Father to remind that the day shall come when they shall be with the Lord forever. We need to meditate upon that this afternoon as well. How God has done that for us. How he has gathered us in by his Spirit that we might be grafted into that life-giving vine of Christ. So that we might know the perfect peace that Christ leaves for his disciples, that it's not like the peace of the world which comes and goes. It's not like the peace that we oftentimes desire for those around us, sincere, well-meant wishes, but, but lacking the power to actually bestow and, and grant what we wish for. But Christ promises a permanent peace, a lasting peace, that will surely take effect. 
So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Because Christ offers his people a benediction, a blessing of peace that is full of grace and divine power. That every ounce of fear and shame that still remains in us might be rooted out and transformed into courage and confidence as we go forth into the world. Even though Christ is in heaven and we are still on the earth, he is not absent from us even for a moment. But in his divine majesty, grace, and spirit, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you as your troubled disciples here on the earth in 2021. We come before you as your distressed disciples with troubled hearts and need to be calmed by the gospel of Christ. Father, we pray that the ascended Savior would calm our hearts tonight. That the ascended Savior would calm our hearts every day and every night as we go forth into his service in the world. Father, we thank you that in a world of so much chaos and uncertainty, we have an ascended Savior who speaks to us. That he is in heaven for our good, directing and ruling over all things, sending his Spirit into our hearts to convict us of our sin and to cause us to flee to the cross of Christ for refuge. Father, we pray that the ascended Savior continue to grant us a rich measure of his spirit to fix our eyes on heaven and not on the things of this earth. To let our orientation and perspective in this life be governed by the fact that Christ is indeed seated at your right hand. And grant us always the sweet comfort of the gospel that even now we have our own flesh in heaven to guarantee that we too shall be taken into heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort especially the lost in our family with that promise as they mourn the loss of Rose's father only last week. That Christ's ascension is the guarantee that even now he is with the Lord. And that one day we will all see him face to face, the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. And so, Father, we pray that you grant us peace for this world's perils. That Christ would came to leave us the peace that he promises in his word. For Jesus' sake, amen.